Welcome, everyone, to QuizCast number 12, um, our pre-season 2016-17 version. Joined today by three excellent panelists. Um, firstly, a man who's we're very appreciative of him coming here today because he's recently had um, eye surgery and um, still can't see very clearly. So immediately after this QuizCast is recorded, he's going to be applying for his Premier League referee certificate and that's demigod all right next one is my partner in crime in the coys cup and newcomer to coys costs and that's dirty bob hello and everybody's favorite cheerful man ac hello so today's coys cast is again entirely driven by questions submitted by coisers uh, i think in the end of it or by the time i um, walked away from the laptop a few minutes ago. There were 25 questions, which I've tried to collate as best I can. Um, if your question wasn't asked, I apologize. If I forget to um, credit you for the question, I apologize even more. Um, so with that being said, let's kick straight into the first one, which is, uh, to be expected, um, the panel's opinion on the strengths and weaknesses of Victor Wanyama. Um, and then there's, there are follow-up questions around who will be our default two will it be Dembele and Dyer and who's next in line as a Dembele replacement can Wanyama play there or does Ali drop back so it's a, a series of questions from Lenandinho yeah I think Wanyama looks like a really functional signing uh, last season one of the strengths of the team was that spine of Dyer and Dembele and I don't think there needs to be a lot done to change that what was needed was a reliable solid backup that when one of those two came out that there was still a certain degree of tenacity and bite and just physical power in the middle of the midfield and Wanyama ticks that box and then some I think he's shown in pre-season that he's got a little bit more to him than just purely being a destroyer he looked quite good in transition and moving the ball forward and maybe injecting a little bit of forward thrust into the side I thought he was particularly good um I think it was in the game against Atletico maybe when he won the ball played it off to Lamela Lamela scored something like that um so he he looks Perfectly suited for the Pochettino system, as you'd expect, because he's already bought him once before. Um, as far as will he start, I think it's entirely up to him whether he earns his place. I think Dembele and Dyer both um, earn, earn the, the right to retain their spots, even though Dembele does have this seven-game ban. Uh, Wanyama will be putting a hell of a lot of pressure on them, and I think we've seen consistently that when there are players with a lot of pressure on them, like when Davis came in for Rose that the players generally respond. As far as who is then back up behind that, I think Ali is a tremendous talent in central midfield. I prefer him deeper. Um, I also prefer Winks to Mason. Uh, and if Bentaleb is this sacrificial lamb, then yeah, I think that gives us a really nice core and Winks is a, is a lovely alternative to have in there as well. In fact, it's interesting you should mention Winks because Lennon Dino's follow-up question was, can Winks make an impact in that area? Yeah, absolutely he can. Um, not necessarily as a starter, but I think just the option that he provides in that he's a little bit quicker with his passing. Dembele can be at times ponderous. You wouldn't necessarily say that passing quality is something that is Wanyama or Dyer's strength, but certainly not the foremost asset. Whereas with Winks, you feel that he's someone who really gets on the ball, moves it, and maybe is a little bit more offers a little bit more stability in the centre than Mason does, who can occasionally leave his position. He likes to go box to box and find himself in the area and have shots, whereas Winks is a little bit more disciplined, a little bit better holder, looks like he's bulked up a bit so he can compete in there, 
and then he's got this kind of finesse and a good range of passing and a good degree of vision as well. So I, I like him a lot. I think he's really, as a sort of fifth, sixth choice, he's really, really able. Um, AC, were you, you know, when, when Yama was at um, Southampton, did you, was he a player that you thought, oh, would love to have him at Spurs? I think we certainly needed someone else with a bit more toughness and brutality to them. Uh, because when you saw last year, for example, when we were playing Dembele and Dio pretty much every game, and then we didn't play them against Dortmund, the midfield was an absolute shambles. Um, I wasn't expecting him to be as good, sort of progressively going forward as he has been in pre-season. I know that we can't read too much into it, but he really did look like one of our best players almost immediately. So, um, Bob, did, do you yes. think that um, Victor Jensen was a good purchase for us? I do. I mean, I won't lie. I hadn't, despite his scoring record in Holland, I, the Dutch league hadn't really heard of him till uh, we were. He played in the the friendly against England, and we watched him. Or was it? I think it was friendly against England, wasn't it? And um, but yeah, from what I've seen pre-season, he looks like he could be a really good player for us. What does interest me is that the last two years, Kane has been a slow starter. And I'm wondering what will happen if Janssen comes in and starts, or even comes off the bench and starts scoring, what the dynamic there will be, whether Pochettino will keep faith with Kane, or whether he'll Kane will somehow be moved back to the number 10 or dropped, or what's going to happen. Because he's shown he's got an eye for goal, and he potentially doesn't look quite such a selfish player. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, actually. I think it's quite possible that the rest of the team will prefer playing with Janssen than they do Kane, because Kane did have a tendency, especially at the tail end of last season, to go a little bit Royal of the Rovers and try and do everything himself, whereas Janssen looks like the polar opposite of that kind of player, which is exactly what is needed from a backup striker and someone who you want to then dovetail with Kane occasionally. Very selfless, very hard-working, useful on the ball, can control it, can provide uh, an outlet when we're under pressure. He looks like kind of the complete package, kind of the perfect player that we were looking for in a backup striker. Maybe we need a player with a little bit more pace as well to supplement the attack. But I think in terms of a straight replacement for Kane, as well as someone who could allow Kane to drop a little deeper into number 10, he looks like a really solid purchase. And question from Hartyard, which is, have we strengthened the squad or merely papered over some obvious cracks from last season? Do we think the squad is we have is sufficient for a 70-game season? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's more than strong enough. Um, one of the biggest things to factor in is that we had the youngest squad in the Premier League last season. So there are 22 players that are going to be a year older, a year wiser, a year stronger. Um, so that all factors into the thinking. Uh, one of the great uh, attributes I think this squad has is stability. So you don't necessarily want to rock the boat. Maybe we could have brought in some player with a certain X factor. I think it was Jose Mourinho that always says that you want to reshuffle your attack all the time so that the opposition is always having to face a different kind of opponent. And I think maybe we're just lacking a little bit of variation, unpredictability and just a freshness in attack, um, which Janssen doesn't necessarily give us because you don't imagine he would be part of the starting 11. So there's a, there's a good dynamic to the squad. I think most areas are ticked. Maybe you would want a better backup keeper. Maybe you would want another centre-back. Uh, maybe you would want that X-factor player in attack, but otherwise I think the squad looks really, really solid, especially compared to a lot of rivals who don't really know what their first eleven is, and their squad doesn't look particularly well-covered either, so I think we've, we've ticked both boxes on that front. 
So you're not worried about the lack of a, of another creative midfielder? No, I mean, again, it depends on what the players that already exist can do. I mean, I'm expecting Lamella to have a really, really, really good season. Um, if he can step up to the extent that he has done in pre-season, the extent that he has continued on season from season after a pretty uh, mediocre start. You've got younger players coming in as well, which um, I think Josh Onimo could have uh, a decent impact, uh, even though he hasn't necessarily been given a lot of opportunities to show that. Son Ho Min is another player who could have a big, big season. So there are a lot of players who could step in and just be that slightly different from that set three of Ali, uh, Ericsson and Lamella that we've generally gone with behind Kane. So there is potential for a player to come in and provide just a little bit of extra zest. I would quite like to see us bring in a player like Unkudu with that pure pace, frightening ability to sort of stretch the play and get in behind defences because that's just something we've lacked slightly. Chadley sort of half provided that against um, Crystal Palace last season when it was 3-1. He came off the bench and he stretched the play, helped, had a hand in three of the goals. So some, a player like that, pure pace, would I would like a lot. But then who knows, maybe Clinton and G is, is the man. Probably not. <laughs> Interesting you mentioned Lamella, and as you're our um, resident Lamella expert, a question from Yido13, is Lamella now playing at the level we were expecting when we first signed him? Or it's is there more to, to come? I think there's more to come, and I'd hope that there's more to come. My sort of fear with Lamella is that he seems to be a player that plays much better when it's like a Europa League game. He's playing alongside kids, and especially in pre-season when he had Onam on one side, Edwards the other side, Winks behind him. He had younger players that were maybe he could guide and he could be the main man. And I think when he goes into the the first team and it's Ericsson, it's Kane, and he gets like a glare from Ali if he doesn't pass to him, I think that's when he tends to retreat into a shell a bit. So I think the big thing for him this season will be um, him believing enough in his own ability. But to me, he looks like maybe the, the one that's going to go under the radar and could take a lot of teams by surprise this season. I was having lunch yesterday with uh, Koizer uh, Peter S. And um, he made a point around, we were talking about why Lamella, at least before last season, um, tended to split the fan base um, into those who thought, you know, he had potential and given time and was doing a good job and others who felt that he was wasted on the, on the pitch or in the first 11. And he made the point that c- could it have been a, um, a, the outcome of people's expectations for him, thinking that he's was going to be an Ericsson-type player, when in fact that isn't his skill set. I think he plays it his best when he's in the hole behind the striker. So, if anything, I'd say he's probably more of an Ericsson player than Ericsson is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he's ever looked the player for us that he looked when he was at Roma. And I think people saw the YouTube clips of, and possibly even saw him play for Roma, and thought that's the kind of player that he'd come into our team and be straight away. And I think people have got, I don't know, the wrong perception of him, because he clearly isn't that kind of player for us. Yeah, I think he's, but he's developed that side a lot under Pochettino, the sort of scrappy, uh, hugely hardworking defensive traits. I would put him second to none in terms of being this defensive winger, if you look at maybe the prior to Lamella, William being the the go-to example of what a attacking player can do in a defensive sense to turn over the ball and get the team attacking from quite a high opposition on the field. And I think Lamella does that, but then we're starting to gradually see that there's more strings to his bow 
and I would hope that he could get double figures for both goals and assists this season. AC, uh, we, we heard that um, Dimi feels that, that pretty much our squad is good enough to go to the 70-game season. If you disagree, or even if you agree, but what do you think is the highest priority position we need to fill? I think I've already expressed my thoughts that it's probably an attacking midfielder, a creative sorry, midfielder, um, but what are your thoughts? Well, personally, I'm 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 pretty happy at the moment. I mean, I wouldn't be adverse to another attacking midfielder, uh, certainly someone with pace. But I think the thing we have to remember is that we haven't lost anyone, and we've actually all we've done is fill need uh, so far this this season this preseason. Um, lots of the teams around us have had vast amounts of change, um, except for you know maybe Arsenal but they still haven't signed the players they need to because they never will. I've, I've, I think we could probably start the season pretty well in terms of going in with a settled side that knows how to play. Um, even the teams coming up and the mid-table teams have had vast amounts of change. So I'm feeling pretty decent about it. I mean, we're not going to play more games than we could have played last season, I don't think. Question for you, Bob. Um, which yes. is Which player as you look forward and you prognosticate and look into your crystal ball which player is going to make the most improvement from last year and who will make the least improvement or even regress um i have less i'll take it around i think ali's the one i've got the most fears about for regression he came in and made such an unexpected impact and he played at pretty much such a high standard for the whole season got a lot of good goals a lot of outstanding stunning goals and um made a real difference to the team he's a kid and i'm worried that the second season syndrome may kick in and he isn't going to be as effective as he was last year um and the way he plays i think his his frustration could get the better of him and he does seem to the red mist you know he's a bit of a niggly player so i've got a worry there um most improved I'm hoping that Son comes through and shows more because he started well and then really didn't see much from him. And I think he does have the ability to do well from us, for us. So I think they're the two that I'm, I'm most worried and hopeful for. Okay. How about for you, AC? I'd agree about Ali, probably. I, I worry about him a little bit because he, he often... Even last year, when you know he obviously had a really good season, uh, a really good season overall, there were lots of games where he was almost non-existent, and then would pop up with a goal. And he's got, he's got, he's obviously got so many strings to his bow that he could improve on. But there's a lot of improvement to come from, and we need to see that in terms of that player to really push on. I'm gonna go with. Josh Onimer. And Dimmy? I, I think I'd agree with the Ali shout. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens if the goals dry up for him because there were a lot of instances last season where he didn't play particularly well, but he was kept on the pitch because he can produce that moment of magic. And there is a lot more competition for places now, I think. So it could be that he gradually moves position because I think he was played out on the wing more because they see him long-term as a central midfielder, but 
ultimately he's very young and very inexperienced at this level and they wanted to put some protection behind him. So maybe now they start thinking about pushing him further back into that deeper role. So that could be could go either way for him, really. Um, as for improvement, yeah, Sun's the one that I would look at. He finished the season quite well, but there's a lot more there. And it's kind of just a, a little bit annoying that he's he's had to miss the start of the season through the Olympics, but hopefully he comes back and shows exactly why he is worth $22 million. Well, I was going to say Ali too. So to try to uh, to try to sort of give a, another viewpoint, um, if I would say who I would next perhaps have a few concerns about um, regression, it would be, um, and I know this is going to sound strange, but it would be Hugo Lloris. Um, there were, look, he's still great. I, I think he's fantastic. I don't think he's as, quite as good as, as some fans believe. Um, but there were just some games where, he made too many games where he made some really bad mistakes. As much as he made some great saves, he made some basic errors, um, you know, in terms of positioning and his goal and coverage and, and commanding his area. And that I don't, haven't seen that getting better over time, perhaps slightly worse. Um, I, I heard a little rumor that Loris had a problem with his leg and that there might have been getting some push off problems. Oh. So in terms of getting near posts, um, but I think actually one of his biggest problems is he doesn't use his feet at all. And if you look at a lot of the best goalkeepers, especially say De Gea, for those near post efforts, they use their feet and Loris doesn't use his feet at all for saving. So and it maybe, hasn't got better over time. No, it hasn't. And I, I do wonder as well sometimes if he's a goalkeeper that's slightly better when he's under more pressure rather than one that when it's quite quiet and serene and then you have to switch on in an instant after maybe half an hour of not saving anything. Sometimes that's when he looks a little bit susceptible. And I, I'm just going to... I couldn't make up my mind between two for who I think could improve um, the most, which is, I'm going to say, um, Eric Lamella, only because for the last couple of seasons he's been improving, and therefore until he stops improving, I'm going to assume he'll continue. And the other one is is Eric Dyer, because, again, he gets better every year. Um, and so until he stops improving, I'm going to assume he's going to keep going. If we get an improvement from Eric Dyer, then Wow. I'm actually slightly worried about Dyer. I think he could go backwards. Because, again, I think his role may change. They might see Wanyama as the one that destroys everything. And then as Dyer sort of played for England, almost like a Carrick-type role, where he was doing 80, 90 passes per game. And if they make him into that type of player, it could be hard for him to transition. Not that he'd necessarily go backwards, but just sort of playing slightly different. Plus, there's the prospect of him going back into central defence, which might then mess nah. with him. Well, it doesn't... Just as an option at the moment with uh, Vimmer and Vatonga both out. I, I, I wouldn't mess with it. Oh, it n- works. N- nor would I, nor would I, but for Everton away, are you going to play Cameron Carter-Vickers at centre-back? I hope so. Yeah, it'd be bold, wouldn't it? I'd say only Pochettino would. I'm not a massive fan of Eric Dyer at centre-back, to be honest. Never, never really liked him playing there. Don't think he's very good at it. I don't think he plays there enough for us to, to find out, but it puts him... I think the few times he does play there, because it's so unfamiliar, and I think we all know playing centre-back, that there's not just playing that position, but there's playing within the, the, the sub-team of a back four-slash-five. He doesn't really get the chance to, to prepare for games and, and to, to pick up some rhythm and continuity. Mm. Next question is, which player does the panel think will get more games, more appearances, than many people expect? Who's, who's going to have actually more, uh, yeah, play more than, than than perhaps right now we expect them to? 
Mm. I think for me, that's a tough one because to some extent, it's going to depend on injuries. Yeah, and I suppose it depends how much you expect a player to play. Maybe Mason. I think a lot of people see Mason as sort of being done, that he's not quite of the, the level required, but I think Pochettino really, really likes him, likes his work ethic, likes his uh, the movement he brings upwards and downwards uh, through the pitch. So I think maybe Mason is someone that we won't necessarily like to see a lot of, but we could uh, see him, especially after, say, like a Champions League match, Mason would be the one that comes in. I hope you're wrong. Oh, I hope I'm wrong as well, but I just think it's entirely possible that Mason, Mason plays quite a lot more than we hope he does. So there's a good question, really. Is It's more of a, it's one of those where I imagine the shrug um, emoji on, on Coy's coming up, but it's what happened to Bentaleb? I, that is unexplainable to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any insight at all into that. It's a really curious one because whenever yeah. the players are asked about training, who's the hardest trainer? It's Benzelet. So you'd think that'd be something that Pochettino would like a lot. Yeah. Um, he stays behind extra. He does lots of drills with Lamella, for example, and they were doing this keepy-uppy challenge where they'd stay behind training all the time. So there's something that doesn't quite sit well with Pochettino. And I, personally, I think what it probably is, is that he doesn't execute the instructions that are given to him on the pitch. And Pochettino is very clear on there's a style and there's a philosophy and you work within that structure. And I think Bentaleb has a tendency to play his own way and to uh, do stuff slightly off the cuff. And I think that first game last season uh, at Old Trafford, when he gave the ball away and it, it just looked a little bit ponderous and he didn't look like he quite understood what was going on, I don't think Pochettino trusts him in matches to do what he's told to do. Well, well t- slightly tied in with that, I had heard, and again, it's just a rumour, but the rumour was that, and, and I think it ties in with what you're saying, um, that Pochettino was not... Um, not impressed with Bentaleb's football IQ. Yeah, I could totally understand that. He's also a player that tends to be a lot better when the team are on top. So uh, the Arsenal 2-1 match, for example, where he crossed to Kane, when the side has got the ball and is playing well and it comes naturally, he looks very good. Uh, He looks like a real dominant midfielder. But it's when things aren't quite going so well and you need to revert to the basics and it's all about how you're reading the game, that tends to be when he suffers a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure what his position really is. He looks too fancy, if that's the right word. Or he tries to do too many fancy things to be a deep-lying midfielder. And he does have the physical attributes to be box-to-box, but then he doesn't seem to know necessarily what to do when he gets to the box. And I'm not sure he's really got the skill set to play at 10, so I don't know what we do with him. I think he'd be sensational in Italy, and I think that's where he should go. I think that's the perfect league for him. So just before we sat down to record this quiz cast, uh, the news broke of Paul Mitchell's departure. Um, and and so hot off the press, we got a couple of question in, questions in, which basically asked Paul Mitchell's departure, a big deal or not? I really don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever seen any output from him that would, let me know what he's actually done for the club. I think what he's brought in is stability in certain processes. I know prior to his arrival, prior to Pochettino's arrival, there was far too much dependence on uh, the circle, the agent circles that uh, Spurs sort of ran in and that a lot of our business was done based on agent recommendations. And I think he's certainly given a more analytical and uh, stats-driven approach 
but then equally that is a system that he's put in place and that it doesn't necessarily mean that just because he's leaving that it all comes crumbling down. There have been hits and misses as far as transfers go. I think that's just the nature of the game. But as long as that sort of foundation is in place, I think we'll be absolutely fine just as Southampton were. You can look at some of Southampton's recent signings have been perfectly good. They've got a Euro 2016 winner in uh, Cedric Suarez, Jordi Classy, Virgil van Dijk. Uh, they signed Holderberg from uh, Bayern Munich. So they've still got that structure of finding uh, real bargains and real talent. And I think that shouldn't be affected at Spurs either if Mitchell is leaving. Maybe one of the, the things that would be interesting to know is the finer details of why, whether there was conflict with Daniel Levy or even Pochettino. Obviously, they had the, the change in role from head coach to manager. Did that play a part? Um, ultimately, though, I think that the structure now that is in place is good enough to cope without him being there. Um, guys like Rob McKenzie, for example, who tweeted a lot about why they signed, for example, Kevin Vimmer last season. As long as we can keep signing players like Vimmer, especially with the stadium to build, I think it will be completely fine. Do you think we're going to replace him? Quite possibly. I mean, it depends, again, what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. I don't think we would necessarily go for someone like Monchi, the severe sporting director. Mm-hmm. I think he's someone that wants too big a role. I think what they want is just a sort of someone to, to lead that side, but then it's got to be a in conjunction with the manager when signings are made, whereas maybe Mitchell wanted a, a bigger, broader role, like a director of football role that he might get, like a Steve Walsh has um, had at Leicester and now has at Everton, where you kind of get free reign to buy whoever you want. I suspect Mitchell probably didn't have that here. And from a career point of view, if you want, uh, he probably wanted to be master of his own domain, and he wasn't that at Spurs. I'm just wondering where he could go, where his skills will be worth more than they are at Spurs. Well, the suggestions that he could go to Everton and work under Steve Walsh. But is that really an advancement for him? um, It's probably not. I mean, again, this is the thing where who knows what it is. It could be a personal reason. It could be a geographic reason. He doesn't like living where he's living, anything. So it's it's difficult to know where he might go um, without knowing the the full reasons for why he's leaving. I would say that there aren't many clubs that he would get sort of like a, a cleaner slate than he had at Spurs the first time around to sort of install his way of working. Um, but I do think his general approach, the black box, stuff like that, is slightly over-egged and that ultimately there is a good team in place, that it wasn't just Paul Mitchell and will still make decent signings. Bob, how yeah. far do you think we will go in the Champions League? Um... The simple answer is it depends on the groups. That, that was my answer as well. Depends on the draw, um, but, but I think they're talking. I think I assume the question, the person who sent in the question, was really asking in terms of um, our squad of the the players available to us and their quality compared to the opposition we're likely to face on average in the CL. I think we've definitely got enough to finish second. Whoever, pretty much whoever we get drawn with, I would hope we could finish second in the group, which is, should be obviously is enough to get through. After that, it's a, you know, it's a cup draw, isn't it? Um, so yeah, out the group and then see what we get. There's there's not many teams that I'd be worried about us getting. You know, there's three, there's the obvious three or four that you want to avoid. But other than that, I think we've got enough. I think we're a strong enough team. If everyone plays, unlike the, uh, the uh, game in the. Uh, Europe last season where we really didn't take it seriously 
think if the first 11 plays, then I don't think there's many teams for us to worry about, to be honest. And what do you think, AC? I'd be happy with the last 16. But I'm not expecting huge amounts this year. I'd rather we'd focus on the league a bit more, um, develop our young squad continually. Um, I always think that Pochettino's always been aiming for the opening of the new stadium for when he wants to really kick in and be pushing on. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not expecting us to go dramatically far this season. I just want to get back into it for next year and keep those that, the finances coming in for the stadium build. So a question for all of us, I think, um, getting close to the end of the, of the list now. We'll start with you, AC. As far as next year's PL goes, what are your expectations for where we'll finish? Your expectations? I expect to finish top four again. Okay. Dimmy? Um, I suppose I would expect to, expect to finish minimum top six, but um, I, I just think it's so difficult to call this year. I, I like the fact that we have a stable team, but Manchester City has spent £300 million. Manchester United have spent much the same. They've broken the transfer record. You've got this kind of influx of super coaches in Conte and Klopp, so it's impossible really to, to guess where, where we're going to finish. So top six would be decent. Top four would be brilliant. Another title challenge, uh, I'm not expecting that, but it's certainly not impossible. Bob? Uh, I think top six. Um I think the key is that we hit the ground running and hopefully get the points on the board before some of the teams that have made big changes, manager and squad-wise, get their act together. If we struggle to start, then it's going to be a harder season than it should be. But I think top six. For me, I, my expectation is, is sixth when I, when I look at the teams and, and the squads around us. And maybe I'm slightly pessimistic, but or maybe realistic, but I, I find it hard to believe um, that last year wasn't an aberration in many ways. I find it hard to believe that Chelsea will be as bad for as long as they were last year. Um, I think Liverpool will be better. Uh, United will be better. And and obviously we'll, we should be better, but um, anything below sixth would be a disappointment. Sixth would match my expectations. Uh, fifth or sixth, I should say. Fourth, I would be very happy indeed, and anything in the top three, thrilled. So there's a, a follow-up question for me. I was just thinking this through. But if we don't finish in the top four next season, this is really sort of building on Ace's point about the importance of that top four finish. Realistically, how many of our players are likely to move to clubs who can afford or offer them um, regular Champions League campaigns? I would expect to see some some players leave if we don't get top four again. Probably two or three major yeah. players. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a slightly different scenario now, though, to previously when maybe we got top four and then didn't, and then you lose a player like Luka Modric or Gareth Bale. Just because this Premier League is so star-studded now, I think you're only looking at maybe a handful of players from Real Madrid and Barcelona, a couple from Bayern Munich, where you haven't got the elite in this country, now, especially in coaching terms. And the best players want to come where the best coaches are. So I would be surprised if. Uh, Unless a big offer came in from a Real Madrid or a Barcelona, I can't see any of our players leaving unless it's for another club in England. In which case, we'll make an absolute killing from the amount of money that they would need to spend. I mean, if John Stones is going for 50 million 
then how much is say, Toby Alderweireld going to go for? Or in, indeed, God forbid, that Harry Kane should ever be sold. You know, you're looking at a hundred million pound player there. So I think it's unlikely that we, we would see too much of a, a huge exodus. But, but aren't you concerned that let's say they did come to happen and we lost, let's say, um, Toby, Eric Dyer, and Kane? Um, for huge amounts of money. We've come away with hundreds of millions. But are there that many players out there that we could get that will come to us ahead of other clubs, not for transfer fee reasons, but for wages? Um, can we keep, is it realistic to keep thinking we can backfill for these players? No, probably not. I think one of the things you see from the players that are moving at the moment is that Manchester City are have been struggling to buy a centre-back partner for company for years. They've got all the money in the world and they've got three of the five most expensive defenders in history and they still haven't really settled on who they want to partner Vincent Company. And then you've got the player that Everton wants to replace Stones with being Ashley Williams, which you wouldn't necessarily think is being particularly good replacement. And then they're also going to try and sign Balassi and you're starting to for 30 million as well. And you start to wonder... Just how good the scouting networks are. Do we kind of have? Is there a limit to the players that we know now? How, is the scouting departments and you know the fantasy, uh, the uh, football manager databases and so on so advanced that we sort of know every player that exists now? And actually, what you see is what you get. There aren't really that many bargains available. You can't go under the radar and sign anyone. So it will be difficult should those players leave. But then I think it would just have to be a case of Levy just facing up to the fact that if he gets 100 million for Harry Kane, he's going to have to spend 50 million on two players to replace him rather than hoping he can get seven for 60 million or whatever it was when Gareth Bale left. I think you just made my point for me there that I was thinking that Everton got, you know, whatever it was, 46, 50 million for Stones. And now what? What are they going to do with it? What use is that money to them in terms of building their club for the future? Well, yeah, exactly. But then actually that's, that's a weird one because... Stones wasn't particularly good for 18 months, so mm-hmm. they might see that they've got a player that's been underperforming, and now they've got 50 million to spend, and they are going to sign Balassi, they're going to sign Ashley Williams, and they start to strengthen their team a little bit more. Um, I would say that if anything, the sale of Stones strengthens them, but then you do worry if it strengthens them enough. Is it one step backwards, one step forwards? Um, because Everton have been in this sort of state of flux and, you know, we're getting so much better because we haven't been selling players. It's such a long time now, relatively speaking, since we lost a really important player. So, it, yeah, it would be hard to take, but I think manageable. So I, I guess we sort of slightly differ in that AC and I have great fears if we don't finish in the top four next year as to what it would do for our future. Um, but do you tend to think that we would be able to buy to compensate? Yeah, but also clearly... The, uh, the feeling at the club is that they want to be self-sustaining. They want to be producing players from the academy. I mean, who knows what Marcus Edwards could go on and become. And at this moment in time with the, the stadium, I think it's just a, a case of grinning and bearing it and seeing what happens. F- and yeah, finally, think, oh, sorry, carry on, please. I was going to say, I think we need to be clever with the signings. I think we need to look for the players that will be looking possibly to move on in, say, after two seasons with us, two a marquee club, but will give us two years of really good performance. So we might have to get used to losing the players, but we're still going to be bringing them in at the right time on the right cycle. And also, it's, it's inevitable that every team's going to lose their best players. Juventus are the champions of Italy. They've won it 
five times in a row, six times in a row, still they can't keep Paul Pogba. So it's just about having options. And they went and they got Miralem Pjanic, who is arguably an even more creative midfielder than Pogba. So it's just about being smart, acting quickly, and trying to extract as much money as possible. But only trying to take that step from um, almost I say feeder club for the for the clubs at the very top table, like Real, um, like Barcelona. Um, aren't we trying to take the step into not necessarily having to sell our best players? And I don't know how you can do that if if you are not always in the Champions League. Yeah, to be honest, I think even if we were in the Champions League every season, unless we were challenging for it, it's still not going to make a blind bit of difference. And ultimately, every club in the world is a feeder club to Barcelona and Real Madrid if Barcelona or Real Madrid want your player. That's just kind of the nature of the game. Maybe it won't always be like that, but I think at the moment it's, it's not too bad if the, only, if the clubs that want your players are Real Madrid and Barcelona, even if you don't have much say in whether you get to keep them or not. Or United? Or City? Or United or City, but then I suppose we we tend to be a little bit easier to resist those. I mean, City haven't really taken any of this top, top tier talent. They've been taking uh, younger English players that are yet to fulfil their potential, like John Stones, like Raheem Sterling, maybe like a Fabian Delph, but they've not really got the established star. So maybe they're not quite as much of an attractive option for younger English players. Um, or certainly established English players as maybe at Manchester United. But then I think Kane is quite happy here. And Manchester United aren't the force they once were. And because there is that state of constant flux in the Premier League, because there are so many teams competing, it feels like there's much less of a defined top four now. There's much less of a sort of food chain. So, okay, Manchester United might be top one week, but then they might be finishing fifth another season. So who knows? And the new stadium hopefully will change our wage structure that will allow us to maybe keep some of these players more easily. And hopefully we do more with that extra money than Arsenal do rather than just uh, sitting on all the money in the bank and deciding for whatever reason not to sign players and not to compete. If yeah, Hopefully we don't go down that avenue, but who knows. Just as a quick aside, where do you guys expect Leicester to finish? Uh, maybe top half. I think it'll be a struggle for them. I think they've recruited yeah. really well. I think they'll be all right. Maybe top eight. The only the only worry for me would be European football, whether they can cope with the demands of that. Um, but they've, again, recruited really well. And, yeah, I um, think they're a solid team. Bob, so what's your prediction for the Everton game? 2-2. Uh, OK. AC? Um... I'm going to go with a fairly comfortable away 3-0 victory. Oh, I would love to see that. And Demi? Uh, I'm going to go for another 1-1. I really don't rate Everton that highly at the moment. Yeah, but, well, they've looked quite a different proposition in pre-season. They've gone 3-5-2, playing Baines and Coleman as wing-backs. De La Faire's looked quite lively. Um, Lukaku's just come back from this uh, extended holiday. So they look a little bit lively at the moment uh, and a different proposition with the three at the back and Ronald Coman's had a decent record against us as Saints manager. So I, I just think it's maybe one of those early ones where the teams try and feel each other out and don't quite hit top gear. I don't know. I watched that Wayne Rooney testimonial and that was 
boring. That, that was not the most uh, exciting match of football I've ever seen, though. I'm, I'm going to go for a draw. Um, I, I don't predict score because I, I I've never understood how that was possible. There were far too many nuances in the game really to predict the result, let alone the score. So I'll go. I'll go for a draw. Um, and all I, I actually hope for the season that at some point we have one, two, three, you know, a number of games where we play like we did away to Stoke. Yeah. Because there was there was pleasure from start to finish as a Spurs fan. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much to our um, distinguished panellists of Dimmy God, Dirty Bob and AC. Um, this is Prof. Thank you for listening and come on you Spurs. Come on, you-